Hello, and welcome to the Brutal Iron Jam Podcast, where our goal is to cut through the BS and deliver the brutal truth about topics related to health and happiness. Today's podcast number 1,926. The topic is training, and the title is How to Program Exercise Pairings. I was talking with my mom uh, the other day, and she is a personal trainer. She's been lifting weights for almost 20 years now. I think probably like 17, 18 years. She started when she was 47. We started lifting weights for her because she was having restless leg syndrome and was having trouble sleeping at night, and I told her that exercise would help. Turned out that she really loved it, and we ended up doing a bodybuilding show when she was 50 years old. She's done three bodybuilding shows, over 10 powerlifting meets. She has an elite total in two different weight classes. She's achieved an enormous amount of success. And she also, as a second career in life, <laughs> uh, has has become a personal trainer. So we were talking about just different concepts in her programming and why I make the choices I make when I'm writing her program. It led to the discussion of different concepts behind pairing exercises in a program. And I thought it would make a good podcast, so I'm kind of modifying from what we talked about to make today's podcast. So one of the things we work for my mom, and I would do this with any client, but my mom specifically, is to ensure that we have proper and full range of motion in the shoulders. So my mom has had limited range of motion in her shoulders as kind of like a historical issue. Uh, She never had great ability to just put her arms like directly above her head. And when we were doing bodybuilding, it never really mattered much. We still did overhead presses with dumbbells, lots of lateral raises. She had awesome shoulder development. And then when we got into powerlifting, hence the two elite totals, she's still pretty strong. (laughs) But she started having shoulder mobility issues getting into like back squat position. And then if she squatted the very next day, she might have trouble bench pressing because the shoulders would be fatigued. So we've always worked on our shoulder mobility. One of the reasons why my mom's shoulder mobility is limited comes from her lats being super tight. Her lat muscles are just chronically tight. (laughs) And it's due to, we've worked on some thoracic positioning due to hip positioning. So we've, we've, analyzed it we figured it out we know what we're doing <laughs> uh, but it's it's an ongoing uh, need meaning the second she would relax on it you know if she takes a week off of training to go visit my older brother the the lats start to tighten down if she you know has something something happen and she misses a day or two of training the lats start to tighten down so we know that it's something that we have to stay on top of in order for it to stay optimal at what we want So she was asking in her recent program, is that why, is the the focus of keeping her lats mobile, is that why I paired a lat stretch with the cable lat pulldowns that I had her do at the beginning of one of her workouts? And I said yes. So I was telling her that you can pair a stretching movement with a weighted movement for a muscle in order to focus on mobility. What tends to happen when we stretch muscles like a static stretch and the muscle's not really warmed up, we will get some tug and some pull and some some stretch tension through the muscle tissue, but you get a lot in the connective tissue as well. 
and it can cause uh, just kind of the muscle to underperform in a workout. You might hear, for example, that uh, doing static stretching before explosive lifts increase increases the risk of injury. And there are studies that you know kind of push towards that and kind of say that that's likely or or it's definitely a possibility. Uh, which is why it's typically recommended to do dynamic stretching before explosive lifts rather than static stretching. Now, part of the reason why static stretching can cause issues is due to the stress it puts on the connective tissue of a muscle if the muscle is not properly warmed up. Whereas if you get the muscle moving, contracting against weight load, you get some blood flow into the muscle, it starts to swell the muscle with water and blood. Then when you place it under a static stretch, you get more of the stretch effect into the muscular tissue, not the connective tissue. So that's one of the reasons why I might pair a stretch for a specific muscle with a, a an exercise for that muscle. So for example, she's doing lat pull downs and we're doing a lat stretch. You might have somebody do, you know, say uh, body weight squats and then you do calf stretches because the calf, if the calf is more mobile, then it allows for better uh, positioning, better depth, better overall technique in the squat if somebody has tight calves. Uh, there's a lot of things you could do uh, that would pair together a muscle that you want to pump full of blood and fluid, but then also stretch. So that is one of five options on exercise pairings, is you can pair a weighted exercise with a stretch for that same exact muscle. And that is a great way to improve mobility and try to open up tight tissues within that uh, muscle tissue that you're targeting. So for example, if you're doing chest flies and you're also doing a chest stretch, you're trying to open up the chest muscle. So that would be an example. So when you're thinking of pairing exercises together, if you're performing an exercise for a muscle that also tends to have limited mobility, it can be beneficial to pair an exer uh, a stretch exercise, whether it's static, whether it's dynamic, whatever it might be, but pairing some kind of stretch with the weighted resistance exercise to increase overall mobility within that muscle tissue. So that's one. We have five total options that I'm going to present today as to reasons or combinations for exercise pairings. The second one is to do uh, what's called a cueing exercise. You could also call this like a related exercise. This would be, for example, you might have somebody, like I have clients, they like to do glute bridges as part of their warm-up before bench press. Because if they're a strength athlete, we're really trying to work on leg drive, leg pressure, in the bench press to have our full body engaged and stabilized in the bench press. So some programs I might include a glute bridge with the warm-up sets of their bench press. So the glute bridge would be a cueing exercise for the bench press. Another example is there's a variation of a straight arm pull down that you do from a cable station, but instead of having the cable at the top of the pulley, you have it in the middle, and you do a bent over version of a cable straight arm pull down. The benefit of this variation is as you pull the handle down in the motion towards like your shins, 
like towards the bottom of the movement if you're in a think of like doing a bent over row so if you're in the body position of a bent over row but you're doing a cable straight arm pull down what ends up happening is you bring the handle from the cable down to the shins and it is pretty much at the height of where a bar starts for a conventional deadlift what happens then is you're standing in the starting position of a conventional deadlift with maximal lat tightness trying to keep that handle from the cable machine held in place. This then cues the body to have lat tightness if you then go into a barbell deadlift and you want to improve your ability to keep the bar nice and close to you during the deadlift if you want to improve lat tightness in the deadlift. You would have the person perform bent over cable straight arm pull downs and then go into their deadlifts. So the bent over cable straight arm pull downs is a cueing exercise for lat tightness that you want them to then carry over into the deadlift. So you can do cueing exercises or related exercises and that's a great way to improve a performance or a technique aspect of the second exercise. A third option we have is competing exercises. You can pair together competing exercises. This would be, for example, I want somebody to do squats, and in between their sets of squats, they're going to do walking lunges. <laughs> they're competing because you're using the exact same muscles. I might do chest flies paired with chest presses. Now, I do this all the time because I have short upper arm bones, which means that my triceps are very dominant in any kind of chest press. So I tend to get better tricep development from chest presses than I do chest development. However, if I do a chest fly first, that fatigues my chest, and it actually allows me to get a better overall muscular fatigue for the chest out of my chest presses. So if I go into my chest presses and my chest is already pre-fatigued, it will wear out and be fatigued before my triceps can be fatigued. So doing chest flies before my chest presses allows me to better feel my chest during the chest presses and get a better chest growth stimulus from my chest presses. But that's a competing exercise because I use my chest muscles in both exercises. The benefit of using competing exercises is it allows for greater muscle damage. Now, you do typically have a lesser weight load. So, for example, if I'm doing squats and walking lunges, and I'm doing them back to back to back to back, I'm not going to be squatting as much as I could if I was only squatting. Or I'm not going to be able to do as much weight on walking lunges as I could if I was only doing the walking lunges. So there is less weight load. However, the tissue stress is significantly higher. So you can actually get greater muscular growth out of competing exercises as compared to exercises being performed alone. Now, that doesn't mean the exercises alone are useless. <laughs> um, that's just a different type of stimulus. So you might use that for one of the exercises. That way you get like sheer force, heavyweight damage. Maybe you're doing some heavy sets of like four or five or six reps. Uh, so I might do that for squats. So maybe I do a high repetition, high volume uh, warm up. I then go, like maybe I'm doing lying leg curls and really high rep uh, leg press. And I do that as a warm up. And then I go do squats all by themselves. And I do max effort sets of four to five reps. And then I come back and I do uh, maybe a pairing of uh, RDLs with dumbbells in a hack squat. 
So the squats on their standalone, not being paired with anything, are beneficial for growth, absolutely, because I get to focus on heaviness. But if I try to do every movement all heavy, my body gets beat up, my joints feel beat up, and I don't recover well from the workout because it's almost too much. So some of the movements I might pair to reduce the weight load but keep the muscle tissue damage, stress high. And then some of the movements I might do alone so that way I can focus on the heaviness of the movement and get the sheer force type damage for muscle growth. So you don't do these pairings necessarily through the entire workout or entire program. This is just by section and section section of the workout. You figure out, okay, for this section, what do I want? For the next section, what do I want? The fourth option we have is opposing exercises. So this might be if somebody's putting together, you know, chest presses and back rows. Or maybe they're doing leg extensions and leg curls. So those are opposing muscles. They, if you do one movement, it doesn't really take away from the other movement, other than maybe cardiovascularly. Uh, but strength-wise, muscle tissue-wise, they're really kind of opposing. They're, they're not directly related. This allows for way more volume and greater caloric burn compared to these exercises being performed alone. So if I was doing leg extension, I did a set of leg extensions and I sat around for two minutes. A set of leg extensions, sat around for two minutes. A set of leg extensions, then I went over, I set up the leg curl machine, I did a set of the leg curls, then I sat around for two minutes. A set of the leg curls, sat around for two minutes. Then I did the leg curls. That takes forever. Whereas if I just do leg extensions, leg curls, two minutes. Leg extensions, leg curls, two minutes. Leg extensions, leg curls, done. So, much faster. <laughs> I was able to get a lot, I uh, get the same amount of volume done, but in a much shorter time, which means then I can add more volume within the time frame that I have for my workout. Or I could just get the same amount of work done faster. So I can get a 60 minute done, workout done in 30 minutes. Or I could stay at 60 minutes and just get way more done for my 60 minutes than if I were to do the exercises alone. Then, since they're opposing movements, the strength of my leg curls isn't really depleted by me doing leg extensions and vice versa. So opposing exercise pairings typically allows you to still use truer to best weight loads, but it still gets that greater volume, faster amount of work done, greater caloric burn. So it has a lot of benefits compared to the exercises being done kind of standalone, being done by themselves. But that is then the fifth option, is just the exercise done by itself. And that is helpful when you're wanting to maximize weight loads, when you want to focus in on technique, and that's like the main thing you really want to do. You really want to just take your time, focus in on that movement, not have anything else get in the way. So those are five options you can think of in your workouts on how to pair exercises together. You can pair a weighted exercise with a stretch, you can pair a cueing exercise, so something small that cues you for a bigger movement. You can pair competing exercises. You can compare opposing exercises. And you can just have an exercise by itself where it's not paired with anything. And what's fun is that like knowing that these are all options and the pros and cons of the options allows you to modify the workout specifically to you, to what's best for you. So for example, for my mom, when she does squats, she's that's kind of her the lift that kind of freaks her out the most, and it, it takes a lot of uh, like it, it demands a lot of her nerves to get the courage to get under big heavy weights. Because my mom is able to squat well over her body weight, uh, significantly over her body weight, so it has a greater potential risk. 
So I tend not to pair anything with squats. But when we do deadlifts, deadlifts are very easy for her. She's uh, just kind of built well for them, very short range of motion. They're not overly demanding. So I might pair deadlifts and walking lunges because on the deadlift day, I want to get greater volume of work done because maybe on the squat day, I didn't do any pairings and I got a way less weight like volume done, but it allowed her to be safe and, and maximize the weight load for the squats. So then on another day, I do the opposing pairing structures so that way I can catch up on the other concepts. So squat day, I let her focus on the heaviness of the weight. But then on deadlift day, we push to get a greater caloric usage and overall volume. So it's fun because then I'm, allow, um, I'm able to personalize her workouts specific to the way that she would prefer them. You might have uh, powerlifters. Powerlifters all the time think they need to be in the gym for like two and a half, three hours. Uh, you do not. <laughs> so I tend to do a mobility and movement preparation circuit where they do three or, f- or so exercises in the beginning kind of built around uh, increasing and opening up range of motion of their shoulders and their hips and something that uh, is typically an anti-movement uh, core work, something that teaches them how to core brace. So we do a circuit of that. Then we might have the main lift all by itself so they can focus on technique. And then we finish with the accessories done as pairings. So that way we can get more volumed in but not be in the gym for two and a half, three hours. Also, general population. If somebody just comes in and they want to lose some body fat, they want to be a little better cardiovascularly fit, they want to have a little more muscle, a little more strength, uh, so they just kind of want to be a little bit better at everything, I do a lot of opposing pairings because it allows for greater caloric burn and increased weight loads, especially considering they might not be super strong. So for example, we might do chest press and back rows because rather than just doing the sets of chest press by themselves and the sets of back rows by themselves, that could take forever. Whereas if we just pair them back to back, they burn way more calories by doing them back to back. But since they're opposing, they still have good strength level for each movement. Since they're maybe on the weaker side of things, I don't want to do competing pairings because they don't have enough strength to be divided over two back-to-back movements. So we want to do opposing pairings so they can maintain the best strength for each of those movements. That gets the greater muscle damage along with the greater volume of work done in the amount of time we're doing. That's a greater caloric usage. So we get greater calories burned while we train and due to the muscle damage we create, we get greater calories burned between our training while they recover between workouts. So Understanding exercise pairings is extremely helpful because you can personalize each individual workout and then be able to personalize the program as an entirety to the individual and be able to make sure that you touch on all of their goals as best fits their needs. So I thought that would be fun to share. I love this kind of stuff. If anybody ever has any kind of programming questions, just shoot me an email at brutalironjim at gmail.com. I would love to make a podcast for you. I love talking about programming things. Uh, Anything that helps trainers write better workouts, anything that helps individuals write better workouts for themselves, or just at least better understand what is a good workout. (laughs) So that way you can pick the, the programs that have the best quality of work for you. Okay, if you need anything, reach out. Again, my email is brutalironjim at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please share the podcast. If you like the podcast, please consider donating to support the podcast, which you can do on our website. Also, if you like the information we share in the podcast, you can find more from us on our social media channels. You can find us and follow us on Instagram and YouTube under the name Brutal Iron Jim. As always, I hope this was helpful, and thank you for listening.